We're on Hollywood Boulevard. And as I said before, happy February. Hard to believe, but here we are. Yes. Tomorrow, I mean our tomorrow, not when you're listening to this, is Groundhog Day. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we'll see how much more winter we get. It hasn't really been a bad one. It's just been a winter. But So do you listen to Staten Island Stan or Puxatani Phil? Uh, I really only paid attention to Punxsutawney Phil. Me too. I actually did not know there was a Staten Island stand until I moved to New York. Well, that makes sense. Because like that, it's like New York is the only one that shows Staten Island stand. The everybody, the rest of the world is fixated on Phil. I'll let you in on a secret. Mm. I don't really put that much stock in Punxsutawney Phil either. <gasps> Shut your mouth. No, it will be all uh, an all Karen podcast. She's going to do all the work now. <laughs> no, I mean, like, it's fun enough to see, but but I also just don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's all bullshit anyway. I believe it's in my... Where, where it's, it's, it's I believe like, in my weather app. That's what like, I believe in. It's like Game of Thrones, winter is endless. Well, if it was, I might be better at skiing, because I might have given into it. Mm. So... I don't know what we're talking about tonight. This is going to be a big surprise. Well, it's it's like a double surprise for you because, yes, I have some things that I'll talk about and you don't know what they are yet. But you also said at one point you said to yourself that, oh, I'll talk about this on the podcast. And now you don't remember. <laughs> I know. I have like no idea what I'm Like an victim, I feel like your memory might be triggered in the next 40 minutes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see what happens. But yes, yes, I am tonight's playing tonight's amnesia victim is Karen. <laughs> <laughs> No idea what I was going to talk about. <laughs> so, so you start. <laughs> I'll start. And how I teased it from our, our other podcast is saying that while we're on the boulevard and we talk about modern things, we're actually tying back to the 90s. And I have more than just one way of doing that. What I will talk about first, though, um, is and just like that. The Sex and the City reboot new chapter, because we watched, there's, the last episode airs this week, but we did a whole binge during the snowstorm this weekend, and, um, and are caught up, and, uh, I think that's worth discussing for sure. Oh, now, I have not seen it. I have no desire to see it. I likely won't watch it, um, Back in the day, I was a huge Sex and the City fan. But so I liked it. I watched, I watched the whole thing. You did watch. So you did like it. I liked it. But I also, like, I always had, no, I mostly liked it. And I, even if I, like, disagreed with it at times, I always reacted to it, and which I give them a lot of credit for. Um, I think the show did a lot of of fun things and interesting things. Um, and I liked a lot of the actors that they had on. And um, what I really liked about the show was the first two seasons when it was quirky and had a sort of indie sensibility yes. and was gritty. And then after that, when it really started to take off, it very quickly became a New York fairy tale yeah. um, in ways that we still see reverberating in real New York to much to it's, you know, like, much for the worse. Um, and, and and the movies, the two movies that came out, I also saw them and, and they were bad. So I really had no desire to return to it. Um, 
I was like, I'm good. I've got this out of my system. And I saw as the weeks went on, because this debuted, when did it debut? Sometime in December, I think. Um, you know, like everything, there were, there were Twitter notifications on people responding to what various things and how they were trending. And we kept seeing like Cynthia Nixon in interviews, Kristen Davis in interviews. Um, and, and it's, it seemed like enough things were seeping into the culture that we were both like, well, do you want to see it? And I don't know. I'll watch it. If you want to watch it. Yeah, I'll watch it. I'll watch it. If you want to watch it too. So we watched it. Okay. Um, and l- though it is very different in some ways, and it's important to point out that it's no longer called Sex and the City, it's called And Just Like That. In some ways, it has really tried to reposition itself as something different. I find myself reacting to it in almost exactly the same ways I was reacting to the show during the later years of its run, which is for better and for worse, but but being pulled in. And that's to its credit. It's a lot of the creative team from the original, a lot of the writing staff um, is back. So it does feel the same. And while, yes, Kim Cattrall is not on the show, um, the other three leads, Sarah Jessica Parker, Cynthia Nixon, Kristen Davis are back. They have some new prominent characters and then some new secondary characters. Um, The show is kind of trying too hard seems mm. to suffer from a lot of white fragility, particularly mm. in the writer's room. Um, we have several new characters who are people of color, but like they have to keep announcing that they are people of color, that they are dealing with things as people of color, even in comedic ways, not necessarily dramatic storylines. It feels very inorganic. Um, but I want to start I want to start at the beginning because you must have heard a couple, you must have had a couple things spoiled about the show by now, right? Oh, most of it, yes. Okay, okay. So I'm going to spoil something right now. If you are listening and want to be spared, here's your warning. Come back in, I'll say, three minutes. Um, you know that Mr. Big dies on the Peloton. They they kill him off at the very beginning, right? Oh, my God. Yeah, of course. You, like, okay, there's okay, no way you okay. could miss that. Yeah. Um, and then they killed him off in real life. <laughs> metaphorically (laughs) (laughs) perhaps the career um uh it actually is pretty well handled and i mean i don't just mean like his death um the carrie storyline for the show is not really her dating it's more about her just sort of grappling with being mid-50s and suddenly widowed um the thing about this whole show is just like the show was at the end in when it was sex in the city it, you know, it's real estate porn. It's costume porn. It's rich people pl- porn. Right. Um, that's where the sex is. There's very little, not none, but very little sex on this reboot. There's just a lot of like rich people porn, like living fabulously again as they were doing. Um, but you know that that class divide is even more pronounced in 2022 than it was in. 99 2000 2001 right. and 2 um so it feels both like entertaining but also kind of gauche at this point and that was a big criticism lobbed at the the films because they had the misfortune of coming out during the economic right turn down of uh of uh fallout of 2008 um and right after um but i 
I wasn't crazy about Sarah Jessica Parker during the latter half of the original show's run. Um, I, I saw a bunch of tricks with her. I don't get that this time around. She's actually really good. Better really? than I've seen her in anything in an incredibly long time. And and that's important, I think, for me to say, because I haven't seen a lot of people saying that. But the focus of the show really seems to be on Cynthia Nixon's Miranda, who's going through some big marital and relationship changes that make her, as a character, come off like a total idiot. Um She's involved with this new character on the show who is uh, non-binary. Um, and everyone has like one too many storylines. Like Miranda, we meet her and she is sort of a functioning alcoholic. And she is drawn to this woman that she just meets. And she has abandoned the law firm where she was a partner for like 20 years and is taking new classes and how to be like a more like sociologically friendly um, attorney. She has a, a black professor and that black professor played by Karen Pittman, who is the highlight of the whole show, um, becomes a friend of hers. Uh, we only need one of these stories to happen in one season, save mm-hmm. something for another season. Uh, Kristen Davis has two daughters now. Um, the younger one is actually questioning her own gender identity. Um, at the same time, Kristen Davis is Charlotte is trying to impress a very rich fellow parent at her kid's school who is also a black character. Like we don't need all of this at once. And the thing is, the governing through line for these storylines should be the relationships, the relationships right. between the man and the woman, like Charlotte and her husband. Um, like it should be whatever they're going through dealing with their young, their tween and teenage daughters. It should ultimately be about how it fractures or strengthens their relationship. And that is actually secondary. There's also a sad note. I don't like the way they handle writing Willie Garson out who died yeah. Who who got who got too ill I think to film fairly early into the filming of the season so he's just in the first episode. Um they actually break up his marriage to Mario Cantone and send him away. Have, where I wish they had just done like a Vera Maris thing where they just kept mentioning Stanford like oh he's on a trip oh he's at home oh he's at a party and we get to keep that character alive in our minds and think that this marriage is like going well. I think that would have I've been more of a service to to the actor and to our our love of the character than just doing something so out of character. Um, But by and large, on the show, the acting is very good. And while there are a thousand things probably to balk at um, storyline wise, it's actually a better structured season than a lot of the other things that I've been watching in streaming form going on. And, um, you know, I, I'm reacting to it. I'm enjoying watching it in ways that hasn't happened with every single thing that drops in the last year or two. So I'm actually glad I saw it. Um, I don't know that there's, uh, I don't know how much rope they have to ultimately hang themselves with if it comes back in future seasons. But um, uh, I don't think I said that Sara Ramirez plays this character, Che Diaz, the one that Cynthia Nixon is involved with. Um, I think Ramirez is doing a good job. I actually think Cynthia Nixon might be the problem Mm. that people are responding to with this storyline, but not realizing it. But I'm 
I'm kind of liking it. I, I just, I don't know where they will go. Um, I don't know. I don't know what they will do with the Carrie character if it comes back for future seasons. I think we might end up with a disappointing retread of where she was in early seasons of the original. But yes, I'm I'm ultimately glad I watched it, and it's on HBO Max. The season finale airs in just two days. Oh, okay. So, and just like that, I've been. Uh, yeah, and just like that, I don't know that I'm going to watch it. But I mean, I'm I appreciate what they're doing and i think that um you know in terms of showing the uh sex lives of women in their 50s or you know or with sex lives of women any woman over 40 period um i think i think they're i think they're doing something that is necessary and it's actually um and i'm and it's feeling almost like it's it might be kind of zeitgeisty i think there are a lot of conversations around this now and i don't oh, yeah. know yeah. that they were the ones to start the conversation i don't think they i don't think they were the ones to start the conversation but they amplified the conversation yeah i think they hit on things that have been out there and so it's easy to to lo- to sort of loop that in i will say um I wish they talk more about what it's like to be a sexual woman in your 50s, what it's like to be in a relationship for 20, 25 years and keep that going or find a new way of stoking those fires. They're they, not doing that. They they tend to lean on the the idea that these things have to be disrupted or destroyed for there to be a new storyline. And I wish they could have found storyline with the existing relationships of what is it like you were initially we were talking uh, 25 years ago on the show about what's it like to be frankly sexual with people and find partners that you can build something with. Well, now we've they've supposedly built things and we should be checking in on them. And what the, the writers have done, the creative team has done is say, like, well, we kind of have to tear these down to, to rebuild something so that we have story to tell. And right. I think there may have been other story to tell interesting yeah so i mean i'll still i will still um talk about it in those terms but i don't you know i just don't feel like i i feel like i I feel like i felt okay this was my feeling when i heard about the reboot sex in the city was such a specific show Mm -hmm. for a specific time in new york and it the first two seasons in particular i agree with you they were almost magical Right. They were really, truly doing something that had not been done. And I just felt like I, I and I think that maybe it's not fair because I don't think that it's necessary. I think it's just my burnout from the reboots. Like, like, must everything be rebooted? Right? Well, apparently now. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, and, you know, and I don't mind it if it's something like Cobra Kai that's kind of clever. That's well. That's the thing. You can go about it in ways that are faithful and fresh. Uh, most of them don't do that. One thing I will give this reboot credit for is it does the opposite of what the really kind of terrible Will and Grace reboot did, which is like twenty years have gone by, and all of you people are now in your fifties and are in exactly the same place that you were in when you were twenty-eight or mm. thirty-two or whatever. And it was kind of gross. This at least finds them. It gives them new chapters because time has passed. 
Right, right. Which is a smarter way to do it. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad I'm glad to hear that. But yeah, I don't know. I just feel like I just I just and I think that, you know, you kind of hit on something there about the the, the privilege, right? I mean, these are wealthy people, even though I don't understand how Carrie was so wealthy. Well, considering she was a journalist. Well, at least that can be explained now by the fact that she married a millionaire. I yeah. know, but you know, back then with her designer clothes, like no, I, and we even see at, well, at several points we see her old apartment on seventy third and third, which she kept while she was in this like penthouse on Fifth Avenue, and even that is like you're kidding me if you think that this is like a runt kind of apartment in new york yeah, city I know. even then it wasn't even then i was i would i was Her i had closet envy. is bigger in that rent apartment than my last studio i know i know every time that i had i totally had apartment envy with that show you know and that and that was where the, how the poor people lived right Exa- yeah yeah exactly I, mean, I was like no that's not how the poor people live but okay um so yeah and and i I, I don't remember what my point was it's, except to say, like, I, I don't – I just – you know, I think that back in the 90s when this aired, there was a sort – like, like Barney's still was around and you mm-hmm. could go to the warehouse sale and you could maybe pick up some designer clothes for super cheap. You know, um, Century 21 was still open. You could go pick up de- – so, I mean, honestly, there were ways to kind of live well. I mean, I picked up God knows how many designer clothes just at, like, TJ Maxx, you know, at the Flatiron. Or- yeah, and the thing is, that was the idea of New York City specifically, that there are all sorts of ways to, quote-unquote, make it. Right. Or, or make it work for you. Yeah. And I don't see that anymore. It doesn't. I don't think it. Exists. It do, I don't think it I exists think it anymore. I think it's so much. I think it, it, it. The city has become so much harder to negotiate as a non-wealthy human being. Yeah, as someone who lives in it, it's true. Like you can't. You can't survive. You know. Never mind by these like designer like you just like you can't like it's just impossible that life that they had back then would have been impossible now that's correct that's absolutely right you know and 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 as hard as it was then you know because being a journalist then you're you know you weren't making money um i don't think miranda was a partner in her law firm yet like she was just a grunt working right Right? Uh, I mean, uh, later on in the show, she she made partner. But, but you know, you don't make a ton of money when you're partner and you work. No, a lot I mean, hours. when she was a Before when she partner. was a lawyer at the start of the show, she had a nice Upper West Side apartment. Right, but I it mean, was I, nice, but it wasn't. I mean, to die for it was an architectural yeah. digest. But I just kind of feel like the the like today that would have. That that's that's just impossible. I don't know. I don't yeah. even know what my point is because well, the, obviously it is, they've it evolved. Is, right? It is a dream. It is like it is a, a sort of dreamscape that that they present. But I mean, I guess because they've evolved, so I guess they've evolved with the city. But have they evolved? The how show did, is. How did they handle the change of New York? Because that was the other thing about the city. It was as much about the city 
as it, it was. was. About it was players. everyone was always quick to point out that you know the city really is a fifth character. Yeah, and it still is. I mean, there's still I still get a lot of joy out of watching and like recognizing sites and near lo- nearby locations and things like that. That to me is is still cool. Um, they don't really acknowledge too much about how it has changed. They're just sort of living it. It is socially a very apologetic show by due to some of the reasons that I mentioned about, you know, like checking, like, you know, the difference between white privilege and people of color, but financially it doesn't really check itself. It just kind of lives, you know, like over the weather with, with all of them. Um, And I feel like I may have had another point, but it escapes me. Okay. It might, but that's it. But that's, and just like that. And just like that. Um, and I said I had another kind of nostalgic thing. Uh, I watched the four-hour Janet Jackson documentary on <gasps> Lifetime television Ooh, this weekend. How was that? It was great, and it was totally hollow and told you next to nothing new. What I didn't know going in, I knew that they had been advertising this Janet thing for a while. I'm a big Janet fan from, like, 86 to 2000. I think her first two big albums, Control and Rhythm Nation 1814, two of the very best pop albums of all time. And are more significant than just pure pop. Um, But I'm not like obsessed with her or the story of the Jacksons. But I wanted to see kind of what they were going to do. What I didn't know until I watched is that it was actually authorized by Janet. Like she was doing it. This was her official... Ah, like, this was her. Memoir, she had control over memoir. this. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Control. I see what you did there. Um, <laughs> and as a result, it like doesn't it doesn't say anything because it's so sanitized. Um, I thought they were going to spend a lot of time on some of the the actual music in her career, and they really sidestep going over just about every song. They spend a good deal of time talking about the origins of, of her career and the Jackson five. And they show some scenes from her on good times and fame. Um, and they spend a good portion of, of her and almost all of her siblings, though not Latoya talking about growing up. And they talk about her first marriage to DeBarge and that quickly like splintered out because he was doing lots of drugs and, they spend a lot of time talking about her marriage that was basically the full 90s um, to Renee Elizondo. The thing about that, who directed a lot of her videos, the thing about that was it was kept a secret. No one knew they were married right. until he filed for divorce. And they didn't even mention that. Um, she spends some time talking about her good relationship with Michael and she says he didn't do anything that he was charged with, you know, and there's all this random footage. Like they have the two of them sitting in, I think his New York apartment as they're writing the song scream that they duetted together. I'm like, what are the odds that 25 years ago you had someone with a camera filming you pretending to write the lyrics to this song? Like it just seems calculated. Mm. When they finally get to Nipplegate, which is by then, like, I'm less interested in her career. They have a lot of people who are on her team, dancers, choreographer at the time commenting. But she doesn't really say much about everything that happened and the larger 
aftershocks and uh, how it affected her career. Um, she's just like, yeah, and Justin and I are still friends. It's it's almost as if like someone else just made it and then just put her in it. Though I'm though I know that like she and her big songwriters Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis all had a big controlling hand in it. Um, so it's four hours of not a lot new. And they don't really show a lot of the highlights, either music-wise or style-wise. She got an Oscar nomination for writing that song from Poetic Justice. They don't even show that. They show some of the movie, which is really just, I think, so they can get some people to do commentary about how she may have had a crush on uh, Tupac. Um, It's chronological and still kind of all over the place. Uh, in short, kind of disappointing, but every time they played one of the songs I loved, and there's 20 of them, um, it reminded me of how much better pop music was when she was in it. Yeah. Um, is she gonna, do you think she's going to, um, release more music or is she done? I don't think she's done. I think she was planning to have a tour that got shut down by the pandemic so I think there's more music. I think there's more tours. I just don't think it's going to enter the zeitgeist anymore, mm. as, as I don't think it has for about 18 years. Mm. Okay. That's kind of so, so, in a sense, kind of a dumb documentary, um, kind of unrewarding and, and not very revealing. But at the same time, to me, she is such, such a, a worthy... Uh, part of pop culture, such a game changer and such a risk taker that it's still worth bringing it up. And I'm also not even done talking about the Jacksons because next week I will talk about the new Michael Jackson musical MJ opening on Broadway this week. Oh, so the, the pandemic has not shut that one down. <laughs> For better or worse. <laughs> oh dear. So, um, okay. What else so, you got? Well, I can keep going, but I want to check, has uh, your amnesia gone away yet? Nothing. All right. Then you get more of me. Okay. Um, I saw a movie this week called Parallel Mothers, which is the latest Pedro Almodovar film. Uh, The the Spanish filmmaker. This has Penelope Cruz in it. Um, and while it's not amazing and it's not his best, it was pretty good. And she's really terrific in it. Have you heard of it? I have not. Are you familiar actually. with him? I am. And I know that I don't Penelope want to, I don't Cruz is like, his, name out there. Yeah. is like his muse, basically, I think. Yeah. And, well, and I think she's done the best by him, um, you know, in movies like All About My Mother and mm-hmm. Volver. I think those have been some of her best roles. Um but it's about a woman who is a pretty fashionable photographer in Madrid. Um, and she gets pregnant by a married man that she's having an affair with. Um, and she befriends a, a much younger woman when they're in the hospital and they both give birth at the same time. And the movie kind of follows parallel, if you will, um, sort of both of their paths. Um, and the plot takes a couple turns, none of which really surprised me and none of which really felt that fresh. They're pretty melodramatic. And the thing about Elmo Dovar is that his movies often do take those melodramatic plot turns and it's sort of like the emotional core that he's able to get to throughout those 
in addition to like the visual flourishes uh, of his filmmaking that that are his strength. And that's true for this too. Um, I don't love some of uh, the plot developments here, but I do think he gets to um, a very sort of knowing tale of what what women go through emotionally and professionally and psychologically and romantically and it sort of charts that over the course of of the of the two hours um i ended up probably liking it among more than most of what i've seen this year um it's not up with my favorites of the year. It's not Belfast. It's not Nightmare Alley. It's not Licorice Pizza for me. But I do think that um, the Penelope Cruz is particularly great in it. Um, and that and what's her name? Olivia Coleman in The Lost Daughter are probably my two favorite performances by actresses this year. Um, I'll talk more about that other movie, I believe, in a future podcast. Um, Parallel Mothers is probably only available in theaters right now i got it on a on an awards screener you got a screener um i don't even know if it's on demand yet so if you've seen any of his movies and like them this is certainly for you uh it's certainly more evidence to how you know how strong a performer penelope cruz is um but otherwise maybe just wait until it comes to i don't know cable okay um but but you know I, I reacted positively to it. Okay. Anything else? I still got nothing. All right. And I'm holding on to things. I'm saving things. Um, but but I can talk a little bit more. I can talk about a show that I saw this weekend. In fact, it's the matinee that I saw once the snow stopped here. What was that? It's uh, a new old show called Skeleton Crew uh, by a playwright named Dominique Morisot. So it, now, is this on Broadway as well? It's on Broadway. Just opened on Broadway last week, though it has been off-Broadway in two different runs in the last five or six years. Um, so it was one of those that was kind of tagged to come to Broadway when eventually Broadway reopened. Um, I don't know if it's deemed a new play or a revival by Broadway and Tony Award standards, but it is the second time I have seen it. But I feel like you had another question. No. About it. Oh, okay. Um, it's set in a, a factory in Detroit where uh, Moriso has set a lot of her work. Um, and it stars Felicia Rashad as a kind of cantankerous woman um, uh, who is not doing great when we meet her. Uh, she uh, has lost her girlfriend and has had a bout with cancer and is currently homeless uh, and sleeping over in the factory, which is a secret to everyone. Um, And, you know, the factory is on hard times. Uh, Worse is that it seems like someone keeps stealing things from it. So, so the manager has to, you know, kind of keep enforcing um, like increasingly strict edicts and and there are checks involved uh constantly of of what's going on with his staff so we meet three of the staff a younger woman who is pregnant um and a younger man in addition to felicia rashad's character and we follow a lot we we get to know them and follow their relationships as as different bonds seem to grow and strengthen um among not just the three of them, but also the manager played in a very 
fine performance by Brandon Durden. Um, and, you know, it's a fine show. It Plot-wise, there's not a lot to it. Um, a lot of the dialogue, and I had this observation when I first saw it, seems very artificial to me. It's They're talking the way it seems like people who work in factories and have uh, are on hard times have to talk. Uh, I think I quoted, there's a, a, a movie from the 80s with Jane Fonda and, and Robert De Niro called Stanley and Iris. And um, Jane Fonda and Martha Plimpton is her daughter. They, Jane Fonda works on the factory line and eventually the Martha Plimpton character does the thing that Jane Fonda doesn't want her to do at all, which is join the factory line because she wanted more for her daughter. Mm -hmm. And when she sees her, she goes, don't you know, this line doesn't go anywhere. And it's like kind of a cringy line. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right coming out of Jane Fonda. And I don't really say that very often about Jane Fonda almost every line in the show kind of feels like that. Mm. They're they're like talking at issues around each other, as opposed to feeling like genuine lived in people. And that's a dialogue thing. That's not a performance thing. The actors are by and large, very good. Um, You know, Dominique more so is kind of a bright light as, as new playwrights go. And I think I have been disappointed by each of her shows that I have seen. Oh, really? Um, I think I've seen four, including Ain't Too Proud, for which she wrote the book, the, um, the what you call it, Temptations musical. So I run very lukewarm on her. Um, I think the strength of the show is in the production more than in the play itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to also give credit to... Uh, to um, Broadway stalwart Ruben Santiago Hudson, who's an actor and director and, and did this. Um, so yeah, it's, I think it's an okay show, but I'm glad I saw it. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I was just kind of wondering, like, <laughs> like, I'm just sort of surprised that there are still Broadway openings because we've been hearing so much about Broadway closures we were know? just talking about that today so everyone seems to have gotten over what was happening from like late november until early january and now we're back it's like well you haven't heard much about cancellations or closings so now everyone is announcing like last last minute late season openings i think there's like 15 shows that are going to open in the next 15 weeks or so wow 15 16 shows yeah so it's it's kind of crazy it's almost like we had a part one and a part two or an act one intermission and act two if you will of the season itself and i'm not sure if you know i'm not sure how smart all of that is we'll see but but yeah there are now plenty of shows that are about to open so you'll be hearing me talk about more of those presumably and i hope you know they're worth it (laughs) i know there's an article that i haven't read yet that i actually meant to read before our podcast maybe that's what i was thinking of probably not um and I think it was in the New York Times that I, I've been so friggin' busy with like work stuff though, so I haven't even had a chance to go back and look for it. Um, that was talking about how the sort of pre-COVID, like the Broadway hits were selling out 
Um, and these were the Broadway, these were Hamilton, right? Like mm-hmm. the Disney uh, yeah. shows, right? Like yeah, Wicked shows like Wicked, that. Yeah. yeah. Like they're selling out. And then the plays and the new shows are dying on the vine. And I think I almost feel like COVID is a convenient excuse now. I would not be shocked. Yeah. And not to say that it's that, that I don't think that like I do think that it is playing some part in it. Like uh we don't have tourists in New York like we have like we usually have, right? Like there's not as many tourists and tourists are the ones that usually go to Broadway. But so, so maybe there would be spillover into these not necessarily mm-hmm. tourist mm-hmm. friendly shows cuz they can't get into the big ones right. so they're like, well we just want to see something. Right, when on you want to come to the city and you can't get into your first choice, yeah. You know, just so you can go see something on yeah. Broadway like, right? Um but I'm just kind of curious you know with look do i think a lot of people found a way to use it as some sort of an excuse yeah sure i do and i'll never really know and in the long term it doesn't matter oh no i think it does i think it I i think it does i think that um i think i honestly think that for better or worse this is a huge shake up in the industry in that I'm not sure what I like. I think this recovery, things are not going to be the way they were on, you know, February 28th, 2020. Well, let me ask you, because I think we talked about this at the beginning of the Broadway reopening when the Broadway league said they were not going to announce what any of the grosses were. Mm -hmm. Do you still think that was the right decision? Yes. Okay. Yes. I still I still agree with that decision wholeheartedly. I also think that you can see what's going on just by looking at the seating charts. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and many people have been. And many people have been. You know, so I don't think it's a big secret, but I do think I, I still agree with that. Um, I still agree with not, with not publishing grosses. Honestly, do we really need publishing grosses anyway? I mean, that used to be a thing that Variety did, and that was it. And now all of a sudden, it's a thing. Like, is that like everybody needs to know the grosses, right? Like movie grosses, theater grosses, whatever it is, everybody needs to know. I don't understand that um, because you know how? Why does John Q. Public care about what show sure. grossed what? If you're not in the industry, if you don't have money in the show, if you if you're not a producer, why do you care? Um, so I kind of always was about the, that anyway, but but I do agree with that move. I don't think that grosses should be reported. Definitely not right now. Um, but, you know, and I feel this way about everything in the pandemic at this point. At a certain point, we have to just move on, right? So like yeah. at a certain yeah, point, we, just, how I feel. we have to start reporting grosses again. We have to have openings again. We have to have, you know, we have to have audiences. We have like, like we can't, there's no way we can keep moving forward like this because there is no moving forward. And, you know, and I know that, you know, I'm seeing it with a lot of businesses. Like I feel like these businesses survived for two years through COVID and now only now we're beginning to see these businesses topple. 
you know um and and it's like and this is sort of sort of moving away from theater but just kind of like looking at restaurants and thinking about the last two years right how hard it has been for these restaurants to survive and how many times they've had to pivot and how strong they've been throughout the pandemic and now we're starting to see them go i can't do this anymore um Mm -hmm. I can't survive they really, anymore. Now they buckle. Yeah. Now they're buckling. Yeah. Now they're buckling. And um, so I don't, you know, I don't know. Maybe that does prove my point. Maybe COVID is uh, shuttering these shows. Although, I, you know, I think restaurants and theater are kind of very different. Um, but I, But I don't think that the industry is going to come back to what it was before this happened. I, I, I really don't. I think that there's been, uh, you know, not only a reckoning just in terms of, you know, equality mm-hmm. and, and representation, um, and all of that. But I also think that, um, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, not that Broadway is, Broadway is not going anywhere. Um, but I do worry about the, the smaller, the smaller shows. Yeah, I mean, that is that is really where larger concern is for me. And the smaller like, theaters. How do the smaller and the medium companies and, you know, the, the average Joes that have been doing okay um, and just sort of tracking along, when the whole thing is disrupted, uh, how can they ultimately survive? You know, and I know a lot of off-Broadways have been opening and running and they haven't had the COVID shutdowns, which I, which I was really, I've been really intrigued by. Um, Yeah, we were, we've wondered about that. Also, it was really more musicals than plays that were affected. I wonder if it's just the, the numbers, the act of singing, like it's just, or just the act of singing too. It, It could be. That's really interesting. Although I know a lot of off-Broadway theaters, though, did also postpone their, you know, they just, they just kept pushing it off and pushing it off. But how much longer can you keep pushing things off, right? Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm just kind of curious. It was just on my mind. Yeah. Well, I mean, as it should be. It's still kind of in your blood. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be going to the theater for the first time. Yeah. For the first time. Well, perhaps we'll hear about that when we return. Perhaps you will. Yeah. So I think that's it for this ride. I think it is, too. Yeah. All right. Time to exit the highway. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been fun. Enjoy whatever it is you're going to see. Stay tuned to hear more about that, guys. And um, Oh, should I spill the beans or should I just wait? Your call. Um, I'm going to go see, uh, an Octoroon. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. Cool. Did you like it? I, I liked it a lot. I really, okay, Cause I missed it I in liked New York. It. I saw it downtown. Yeah. I missed it in New York and they're doing it at the Gam Theater, which is here in Rhode Island. Um, you know, it's really funny because Trinity Rep gets all of the, the glory, glory, right? They're the Tony award winner under, they won the Tony under Adrian Hall, who, by the way, um, is a lovely man. Um, he, I believe he's still alive and super talented. The work that he did, because he was at Trinity Rep when I was growing up. And he's the reason why I fell in love with theater, because I would go to Trinity Rep, I would see his stuff, and he was just a god. He was 
so amazing. Um, and you know me and my memory, I have none. His <laughs> Christmas Carol is still seared in my brain. That is the reason why I want to, I wanted to be in the theater. And I think I saw it when I was like eight years old. Aww. Like, yeah, like he to me, and I did get a chance to work with him once, which was super, super exciting for me um, in New York. Fucked if I can remember what the hell it was, but I remember going to a party at his loft oh. in Soho, and I was just like so happy to like be in the be in the room with him. Um, and what a lovely, lovely, lovely man. Um, but anyway, so Trinity Rep gets all the glory, but oddly, and I can't, I, I haven't quite figured this out, and maybe it's just because there is like a resonant company of actors with Trinity Rep. Um, all of these like little like little theaters kind of cropped up around Providence. Good. And they're really good. Um, so like we have Wilbury Theater Group. Uh, we have the GAM and then I, and I'm forgetting one and it's going to be like shame on me that I'm forgetting it. So hold on a second. Um, let me try and Google something here and see if I can think about it. Oh, uh, is it rights and reasons? Might be rights and reasons. I mean, we just have like so many there's as220 um there's actually a providence black repertory theater i did not know that um but we have all of these wonderful little theaters and the gam is one of them it's sort of like an offshoot from uh from from trinity and their season has been really exciting oh good so they're doing um they're doing they're doing an octoroon and then the next next up is ironbound oh nice yeah and i'm interviewing the director of that tomorrow for a story on it and i'm hoping oh to great see that too yeah um so i'm just kind of like really impressed with uh with their season because it feels it feels really risky for for here um yeah you know, for, I mean, not, I mean, I hate to say for here, but, um, but for here, uh, in terms of, uh, yeah, regional, oh, Mixed Magic Theater, that's the one that oh, I, okay. I wanted to, to mention is Mixed Magic Theater, um, but, you know, the, for, for outside of New York, or out, like outside of New York, Chicago, LA, mm-hmm. maybe Boston, right? right. Um, I, I feel like they're doing some really edgy work. I, I don't, I think they're doing one Shakespeare though. So, but well, I, I, they all have to, they all have to. Um, but yeah, so, so I'm, I have not been to much theater he, up here because I'm usually disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I hope that's not the case here. <laughs> but um but I did see the production photos and it actually looks wonderful. So I'm I'm looking forward to this. Good. Yeah, I look forward to discussing it more. Yeah. All right. Then I think that's it, you guys. Take care. Let us know what else you're watching and uh, we'll be back next week. By the way, next week I think uh we'll be recording the day the Oscar nominations are announced. I imagine I will have things to say. That's next week? The nominations, yeah. Wow, that was fast. Well, it's been a year. It's been a year. (laughs) In every possible way. Oh, boy, has it. All right, I'm going to bed. (laughs) All right, take care, guys, and we will see you next week back on the boulevard.